vital now, Lord, that we do this. And so keep us encouraged. Keep us strengthened, God. Keep us edified. Keep us here. Keep the Word of God sharp and powerful and quicker than a two-edged sword, God. And Lord, I believe you've got something to speak to us today, God. I believe these bones can live again today, that I feel dead. I feel deadness in this house, but I believe these bones can live again. I really do. I really do. I really do, God. I believe there's deadness in all of our lives, but I believe we're going to find the key here by the end of this message of how to resurrect that and, Lord, to live again. These bones can live again. They can live again, Lord. There's some don't believe that, but they can live again. And, God, we're going to find out how here shortly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. It's good to be here. It is so good to see everybody here. I want to talk to you. We're going to open up. I have so many things going through my spirit. And just uh, so uh, let's just try, pray that God will whittle this down. Thank you, praise to And thank you. Uh, I want to say to appreciate everybody what you guys did to recognize us for pastor appreciation. But uh, we have two other pastors, uh, Daniel and we have Caleb, that I really, really appreciate what they do. And I couldn't do it without them. I don't want to continue doing without help. And I thank God for them. And so uh, they are such a blessing. And you would have no idea what they do. Uh, around here and how much of their time is spent uh, at this church and for this church. And, uh, and, and so uh, uh, I love them and I appreciate them. And uh, so, uh, you know, when, when you, uh, it's kind of like, uh, so, so, so thank them. Thank them because I need them to continue uh, on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. And when you speak against them, you speak against me. And when you hurt them, you hurt me. And when you honor them, you honor me. And you, so, so, so it's like Paul and it's like children to me. Okay. And so it's just like you. If somebody outside of here says something about us and about you, uh, that, that, I take that personal. It's a reflection. We're a reflection of Christ and of each other. So, so uh, thank God. Honor these men and women who give their lives for the teaching of God's word. The Bible says to honor and give honor where honor is do. And we should honor uh, and boast in the Lord, amen, of what God does through people and through people's lives. And I appreciate everybody in this church that serves in positions and does. Thank God for you so much and who uh, waits tables and, and helps in this church. Thank you. And everybody needs to be involved. We're going to see in the coming year, we're all going to be involved. We're all going to be involved because the pressures of the time are about to thrust everybody into ministry. It did it in the book of Acts. It's about to happen again. And it's, gonna, it's going to, uh, you, you, the days of sitting are, are over. They're sitting on the sidelines are over. We're all about to be pushed out into, uh, into where we need to be. And needed to be. So if you got your Bibles, go to Hebrews 9. I've got, like I said, I got so many things going through me. I got two messages that are just stirring. Somehow I think I'm going to weave these two messages together. Uh, that could be good, that could be bad, but uh, it, nonetheless, it's what needs to be said today. And somehow I'm going to br bring the two, two interweave together, I hope, and make some semblance and sense of this. So one more time, let me pray. Father, speak to our hearts and change our lives through the Word of God. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for uh, 
everybody here. We thank you, God. We pray that we leave here encouraged, strengthened, uh, God, shouting the victory. Lord, seeing something in your word, God, that can cause us to be uh, conformed and transformed into the image of your likeness and your son. Lord, that's the goal, and we just praise you. Keep us on the journey. Don't let us, don't let us exit the journey, God. So many falling away, so many giving in to apostasy today. But God, uh, Lord, I know that those who keep their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we're going to go the distance. And Lord, I'm so grateful for that. And not only go the distance, but bear fruit, much fruit. Uh, and Lord, we're thankful for that. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 8. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. And the Bible says here, calling this Reformation, and happens so just uh, uniquely and coincidentally perfect day, because today is the 504th year of the Reformation when Martin Luther went and tacked that treatise on the door on my wife's birthday and just uh, uh, and, and put it on the door of the, that uh, uh, place in Wittenberg, Germany at the, that caused the Great Reformation. He took that 95, uh, I think it was, treatise and, uh, or, or thesis and tacked it on the door there. And men came after him that really paid a price uh, in the church after that with their blood and their lives and their sweat and their tears and their writings that I thank God for because it's where I get my doctrine. It's where I get my theology. It's things that we still, they fought battles that we know nothing about that they fought for us today that we could be here studying the word of God. And what reformation really means to make correction to or to put things right. These people put things right that were going wrong in the church and in Christianity. Christianity. They made things right. And that's what Martin Luther did when he went to that, that door. He saw some things wrong and he said, this can't go on. And he wrote on there what was wrong and said, we've got to put these things right. And a group of people righted that wrong and made things right in Christianity and in the church. Or at least that was their aim and their goal of what they were trying to do. And folks, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He's the greatest reformer. And we're going to see that in these passages of scripture that we're going to read today. Let's look at what this says. So the Holy Spirit was showing by the that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order or in the King James it says reformation. And it's the only place in the word of God where this word reformation is found. One place, one time in the scriptures in Hebrews, and that's where we find it right here. And these men are, are, are the, the writer here is writing something to us, and he's reminding us that Jesus Christ has now been placed as the real high priest. These things were copies until the real came into place, and he has now gone into the heavens. He has gone into the, the, the most holy place into uh, the as, as the eternal high priest, and there he has gone in and done something. He has reformed something. He has, he has made something right that happened long ago 
and He's made it right. He's gone into the most holy place. He's secured our salvation and our relationship with God. He's given us an eternal reward, and He's clearing our conscience. Listen to what He says in verse 24 of Hebrews 9. For Christ has not entered to the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So in other words, on His ascension day, 40 days later, He ascends, He went into heaven, He goes straight into the most holy place. He goes into heaven itself, appears before the presence of God, and he does that for you and for me. He goes into that place, folks. It's unbelievable. And I want you to understand that mankind had been estranged from God since Adam until this point. We have been estranged from God. We've been separated from God. We have a real problem because of of our sin problem and our guilt problem and and, and our conscious problem that's going on now. We've got a real thing that needs to be righted. The ship needs to be righted. There's something that's got to be reformed. And our high priest has now gone. Why are you settling for a copy when he's gone into the holy place and you've got something eternal? Amen? Amen. Settled in heaven forever. And so now the writer tells us that we've been reunited back with God because of Jesus that, that literally he went into the holy place. He, we're no longer trying to get to God. That's what Old Testament theology is. All these people trying to get to God. All these people trying to keep commandments. All these people trying to make God happy. If I worship hard enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I study enough, if I pray enough, if I beat my back after I fail with enough penance, then God will surely be pleased with my efforts and he will let me be reunited with him. That does not work. That's Old Covenant. That is Old Covenant theology. Jesus left that behind. Those were a shadow of what was to come. Now the real figurehead has gone into the holy place. He has made things right with God so that you and I can be reunited with God. Amen? So we're reunited with God. And verse 12 tells us we have an eternal reward. I mean, these are good things because that's what he says in these verses. It tells us that he's the high priest of good things to come. Here's what's come. The new covenant has come. We're reunited with God. We're not trying to be reunited with God. If you're in Christ today and you've received him by faith, you're reunited with God. Oh, wow. One person. Hallelujah. You get it. I'll preach to you. We are reunited with God. So, so, so uh, and we, we, it's eternal. We have, we have an eternal reward. It's not going to fade away. It's not temporary. It's not once a year. Come back and do it again. And maybe I'll forgive you. It's eternal. He gave His blood once and for all, for eternity, for you and for me, on that mercy seat. And the Father was a, 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 accepted it because He raised Him from the dead. How much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot or fault to God to cleanse or purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the third thing, it says these good things that He's bringing to us. He's bringing us, uh, first of all, He said He's bringing us reunited with God. Secondly, he's, He's bringing us an eternal reward. And thirdly, He's bringing us a clear conscience. You say, well, why is a clear conscience? What's the big deal about a clear 
clear conscience. Well, I'll tell you what a big deal about a clear conscience is. Because when Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall, they slept good every night, Megan. They slept like babies. You know what? They raked the ground a little bit. They tilled. They played with the lions and they played with the bears and they played with whatever else they wanted to play with. An adder's nest or a rattlesnake nest. And they enjoyed the garden and they enjoyed no sin. And when they laid their head down at night, they slept perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully sound. There was no needing this, uh, this pill to go to bed, insomnia or this or that. There was no need to watch the TV and have the fan going or noise going like everybody seems to need to drown out everything today because their conscience are so, uh, you know, we got to drown out every bit of noise there ever was and not think. And so, but they didn't have that. They slept. They had good conscience. They slept like babies and they got up and did it again the next day and they whistled and they smiled and they didn't grumble at each other and grouch at each other and fuss at each other. They loved and they, they lived in the life of God and there was joy and there was peace and there was uh, the presence of God and there was the power of God and there was the perfection of God and there was the provision of God. That is until Adam and Eve sinned. And then the idyllic setting let go, let go and the Bible says that they, the moment that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And they spiritually died. They didn't die that second, but they died internally. Now comes depression. Now comes anger. Now comes, now comes all these other things. Now comes guilt. Now comes fear. The conscience didn't need to be awakened in man before he sinned. But now the conscience has been awakened. And now all of a sudden, you, you know, there's this guilt that comes upon them. And not only with guilt comes fear. Because now, Adam, where are you? I'm hiding because I'm afraid. So with the sin came awakening of conscience, with sin came guilt, with sin came fear. And they're afraid. And with sin came separation. And, and, and here's the problem. They can't shake it. Just like you can't shake it. No matter how hard you try. No matter how many good works you do. No how many good uh, Hail Marys you perform. No matter how many you come in here and how many uh, things you join in the church. No matter how much you read your Bible. No matter how much you pray. No matter how many good deeds you do for your neighbors. Nothing can shake no matter how many commandments you try to keep. No, nothing can, can soothe the conscience because we're guilty before God. I'll tell you how deep this thing is. I was listening to a pastor who I love and he said when they were little and I I've got a similar story that I'm ashamed about that, that uh, uh, I don't even know if anybody ever knows it. I may tell it in a second. I may not. It's, it's, that, it's that shameful. But it's like this other pastor who I'll throw under the bus. Uh, <laughs> I'll shame him. And so, uh, but he said they were little and they went camping. And they went to, um, they're, uh, they're from South Africa. And they went camping, and you would go to the bush, just a few. They were young, they were kids, they rode their bikes down there. So they got bored, as teenagers, kids do, under a teenager. They got bored, and they went, and they uh, started going down uh, after leaving the campground, the campfire explorer, and they came up on an abandoned house. And before long, one of the kids picked up a rock and did what kids do, burst the window, Everybody's looking around, oh my goodness, do we run, do we, well, we not feel, second kid picks up another, third kid picks, throws another one, 
And all of a sudden, their rot's coming. In a few minutes, a neighbor comes because they've heard the noise. Hey, what are you kids doing? So what do they do? Grab their bikes, get on their bikes, run, get to the camp, clear up the camp, race home. The parents are saying, why are you home? I thought, well, you know, too many snakes, too many this, whatever. You know, some excuse of why they came home early. He runs to his room. He gets in his room, sits in there, hides and uh, uh, this particular pastor. And he said, the guilt, the guilt just started eating him up alive. And he was so paranoid. Every knock he thought was the police coming to... Because that's what the, that, that's what the conscience is. It's a cop. It's a policeman. It's come and here it has no variance. It's either good or bad. When you sin, you're bad. And when you do something good, pride rises up. I'm pretty good. I did a good job. And it has no in-between. It's just good or bad. Evil righteous you know it just that's what the cop does that's what the conscience comes to do and that's how it works and how it operates so this guy is like really he's thinking my dad is going to find out he is going to kill me it's it's going to be over well after a couple of weeks of 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 not uh uh, being no knock on the door and no blue lights coming guess what you can sear your conscience okay so all of a sudden i got i got i got past that right We got away with that. And now he's not longer bothered by his conscience anymore. However, one day when he was there, a knock came on the door. And it was a policeman. And he saw his dad getting red-faced. And he saw his dad getting more angry. And then his dad called him over there. and, And sure enough, somehow they had tied this thing back to these boys. They told the headmaster of the school. They got punished by dad. They got punished there. They got, hey, what we ought to do in this country that we don't do anymore. They got the cane. They had, I bet there was no more rock throwing at the windows anymore. They got, they got punished. They got disciplined. But it, something was awakened inside of them. And the guilt was right there. And they could not shake them. Well, that's what happened with sin. That's what happened with mankind. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Something's happened that's better for you. Why do you want to keep going? You want to go back to Judaism? You want to go back to a, to a, to a type and a shadow and just a, 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 a picture of the real one that's to come? No, Jesus has come. This Jesus you're wanting to abandon, He's gone into the heavens. He's secured your eternal salvation. He's reunited you with God. Are you crazy? Are you serious? You're going to leave that for this? And so, so uh, that's what they had. You mean you want to go back to where every year you came and you brought your sacrifice and you looked over the sacrifice and you made sure it had no imperfections and you hand it to the priest. The priest slits its throat. You feel guilty because you watch this innocent lamb dying uh, as, it, as it, for you, for your sin, and you watch it there and all of a sudden, you know, they come out and they say, hey, you're forgiven for another year, but you go out and you do something again and all of a sudden, man, I threw rocks at the window and I'm, I'm no good, Raymond. And, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, the conscience is there. And no matter what you did, that, that was a continual reminder when you had to show back out again on the Day of Atonement. We're guilty. We're guilty. The cop is there again to say, hey, last year you might have been all right, but what about this year? What about today? 
You got to bring another lamb. You got to bring another sacrifice. You got to do something to atone for your wrong actions. You've got to do something to it. And, and, and so, so it was the remembrance of sin every year. You're a sinner. Do good. Get proud. You know, if you, if you did good, you get proud. If you did wrong, you're a bad person. And that's what you had in the, in the Judaized system. You had the Pharisees over there. Look at us. We read the Bible. Look at our phylacteries. They're so long. We keep the commandments. We do this. We do that. And uh, they're puffed up with pride and you have the other people down over here we're not like you we're not as good as you we're beat down we're sinners we're dogs we're we're not and then you got this sin you want to go back to that the type the picture the shadow of the perfect to come the perfect's now here hebrews the perfect's now here america and so the writer is saying you can sear your conscience, you can ignore your conscience. And the writer is telling us that it's faith in Jesus that has been designed now to lift you above conscience. It's the only thing that can lift you above conscience. Not good works, not all these other things. Faith in Jesus lifts you above conscience. It takes you above what your conscience is declaring about you. What it's telling, what it's convicting you of, what it's condemning you of, what the guilt of is Hebrews 8.12 last time said, For I will mercifully, uh, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. No, I need to read that again to you till you believe it. For I will be merciful. This is what I, God, want to do for you in the new covenant. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Amen. They're never going to come up as a problem again. I mean, I mean that, that's the problem of the conscience. That's the problem, man. It reminds you the abortion you had, the marriage you left, the adulterous affair you had, the pornography you snuck in the other room to look at last night. It, 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 it's there haunting you. And, and Christ has, 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 has this, this new covenant that He wants to bring in and institute where He can take care of the conscience and do something even greater than that that I'm going to show you in just a moment. But Christ has written this all out and the writer here says that He's put it in a will. Look at verse 16. It says, "For Where there is a testament or a will and a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator or the person who wrote out the will. What he's saying is, all this has been put into writing. All this is legal. Okay, listen, there was an old covenant. There was an old covenant with Israel, right? And there's a new covenant, really two covenants. I know we studied seven and we, there's more, but those, those are the two main covenants that we see. The old covenant with Israel, the new covenant with, with, uh, with, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which Romans 11 goes as far as to tell us that, that we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. Okay, so we're brought into that household, 
Right? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying replacement theology. I'm not saying done away with natural Israel. But we are the, we are, we are the speed seed of Abraham, right? I'm the righteousness of Christ through faith, right? Abraham is my father, and I've been brought into this thing. And, and, and so there was these two covenants. And the old covenant with Israel was a binding contractual agreement. And there had to be conditions that were met on both sides in order for this thing to be fulfilled. And so so, so here's what he would say. If you will fulfill Israel, your obligation in the old covenant, then, but which is to keep the ten, ten commandments, to keep the law perfectly, perpetually, means forever, always do it perfectly, then I will give you my presence. I'll give you my protection. I'll give you my, I'll give you my power. I'll give you my, 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 my presence, my protection, my power, my provision. And that's what he says. But the problem is, they broke it immediately. They could not even keep it. They couldn't even, Adam couldn't even keep one commandment in the garden. They could not keep it. And so they broke it. And God says, I'm no longer contractually bound to this covenant. I don't have to give you my presence. I don't have to give you my power. I don't have to give you my protection or my provision anymore. But in Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, but I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to bring a new covenant. And it's not going to be like the old. And he tells us about it in Hebrews 8. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to make this legally binding contractual agreement with a figurehead of the, of the human race. It's going to be my son, Jesus Christ. And he's going to come down. And it's going to be one man for the, for the entirety of humanity. And in this one man, he's going to come down and he's going to die for the sins of the world. And he is going to keep the legal contract on behalf of the human race. And I'm going to write a clause into this contract. He's going to keep it. He's going to keep this the, the standard he's going to keep what we've written into this thing he's going to keep the obedience to the law the ten commandments and everything that i've written into there that on my side the father says my son is going to come and he's going to keep it perfectly and when he comes and keeps it perfectly i'm going to give him my presence my provision my protection and my power i'm going to give him everything that 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 is needed to live and operate in this life and the son says that's fine we'll do that we'll agree on that when I die on the cross and when I'm raised from the dead, when I fully have lived an obedient life, we'll do that. But there's one thing in John 17 I want to go down here and add. I want to add this little clause into the statement before I finish it off and complete the work and hand the perfection, perfect obedience to you, Father. Here's what I've got to have. Where I am, there they may be also. And that's what he prays there. Everything that I've asked of you, that you've asked of me, Father, I have done. Now glorify your son with the same glory that we had before the world began. But oh, Father, by the way, I've got some people here. And oh, God, I, listen, I kept the end of the bargain. I did everything. I was perfectly obedient. I kept every commandment. I never once didn't love you with all my heart, mind, soul, or strength. I never once did not love my neighbor as their self. And here he says, now, Father, where I am, there they may be also. You know where he is? He's in perfect victory. He's overcome sin. He has done it all. And he's saying, that's where I want them to be also total forgiveness perfect victory clean slate into the presence of God and God says you do it done 
And when they put their faith in you, that's what's in the clause, they get the victory. They get my presence. They get my power. They get my protection. They get my victory. They get my righteousness. They get with it. And he says, when is this enacted? I, I, a wheel? My wheel? I don't have a lot. Sorry. Sorry. But here, maybe a spiritual legacy. But when the tester... The guy who writes the testament, when is it good? It's not good right now. If Cole comes up and says, Dad, uh, you know, you got a, you know, you got a car and you got a house, and I could sure use a car. He probably wouldn't want my car, but anyway. But if he did come and he said, I want the car, I'm not giving him the car right now. Because if I die, what happens? It goes to Marcy. And if Marcy dies, then we both die. It goes to our sons. And then it becomes enacted and it's theirs. Well, that's what Jesus is saying right here in verse 16. For where there is a testament, a will and testament, there also be, must be of necessity be the death of the testator or the person who wrote out the will. And, and that's exactly what Christ has done. He wrote out the New Testament. He put it in Jeremiah 31. He put it in Ezekiel 36 and 37. He put it in Hebrews 8. He wrote it out and he says, one day this is going to become enacted. We got an old covenant, but we got a new covenant that's coming. When is this going to be able to be available to you? When the testator who wrote it out died? When did he die? 33 AD or so. Your Savior went to Nazareth. He went to Bethlehem. He went to Jerusalem and he was crucified on a cross. He took the sins of the world. He died, was buried, went into the grave. He paid the price for sin he came out of the grave and the new covenant is now available by faith through the shed blood of Jesus Christ so if a 10 year old or a 90 year old puts their faith in Jesus Christ today boom bye bye guilt bye bye Pornography? Bye-bye, stench of death. Bye-bye, guilt that I can't make it to heaven. It's gone through the blood of Jesus. It's gone now. And Christ has, has made, given me the promises that were given through, uh, through, through Jesus. In other words, what Adam skewed, Christ reformed Amen. on this Reformation Day. And that's true Reformation. Well, let me go into the second part just for a minute in closing and give you what exactly happened. Because here's what he says in Jeremiah 31, 31. Stay with me just for a minute because let me tell you about this new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Here's where the testator is riding out the wheel. Listen, behold, this is future coming. Behold, the days are coming. You want to hear what he's given us, right? You want this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. A new one with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers in the day when I took them by the hand, bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, they broke. Why do you want that? You want to go back to that? Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I, every time you see covenant language and you read about the covenant, this is what comes. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his, uh, uh, teach his neighbor uh, and each brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Conscience is clean. <laughs> Hebrews 8, 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, hear me? If the first had been faultless, Hebrews, there wouldn't have been no occasion to look for a second one. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold the day, and he's quoting Jeremiah 31, and if you ever want to know the longest passage of Scripture that was repeated in the New Testament from the Old Testament, here it is. There you go, Bible nerd. It is Jeremiah 31. The thing he wanted repeated that was the longest passage of Scripture that he took from the Old Testament, transported it into the New Testament, is about the new covenant. And here's what he says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one their neighbor, each one of the brothers saying, know the Lord for they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And then verse 13, he says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete why are you still trying to live there and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away he's folding it up like a garment once it serves its purpose of convicting you of sin and showing you're, you're guilty and running you to a salvation it's done its work it's a schoolmaster that's what the Bible says. And the Bible says God has made these two covenants. And, 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 uh, and a covenant, why he uses covenant language is so incredible because here's what he does. He, he, a covenant has to do with, with uh, two parties that they come together and, and it, it marries both law and love. It marries lo law and love. So, so you've got it recorded. Both the love of it and the law of it is recorded in the annals or the courtroom of heaven. You know heaven has a courtroom, right? Yeah, it has a courtroom. And it has a courtroom. And the greatest, greatest relationship or intimacy that you can have is what's called a covenant relationship. It's where both law and love come together and bring intimacy. And the reason that the law and love come together and it brings intimacy is because of this. Because I get down on my knee with this woman and I say, Marcy Lindsay, Marcy Helms, will you marry me? And, and, and we come to these two people come with love and into this legalistic uh, now a law with love married together because we come together before God and before witnesses and we make some terms and we make some agreements and the reason we make terms and agreements is because I ain't trusting somebody who won't make some terms and agreements with me like this you will love me for better or for yeah on my good days and on my bad days she's going to be with me 
in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death do us part. See, we love the love, we love the cherish. We don't like the death do us part. We don't like the, the, the bad days. But see, you can't have you can't have intimacy without trust. And I can't have trust without knowing she's going to love me even when I'm a rascal. She's going to love me when I fail because I know she's not going to leave me. I'm not going to give myself to her fully unless she's going to do that. And so that's what God says. I'm bringing you into that with me and my son. I'm bringing you into something that is that binding that, that, oh, that, that now as you enter into this thing by faith, when you have your good days, I'm with you. And guess what? When you fail and you you sin, I still am with you. Now, I'm not talking to the game players. I'm talking to people who know their God. If you know God intimately, He's saying, I'm putting you in a relationship that my son has established between He and I. It's a legal binding agreement. He has fulfilled the obligations. And now you're coming into this thing. And I'm bound by this in the courtroom of heaven. I'm bound to do this. I'm bound to give you my presence, my power, my peace. I'm bound to do these things for you. This This is what is written in the covenant. This is what is written there. This is what the Son agreed to. This is where He went to the Father and said, I'll do all that. I'll I'll perfect it. I'll I'll satisfy the death. I'll do everything. But you got to bring them in where I am. They may be also. And He says, Yes. We've made an agreement. We've agreed to the terms. They're solid. They're secure. For better or for worse. Sickness and in health. Good days and bad days. I'll keep them. I'll walk with them. I'll go with them even to the end. I'll transform them. He who began a work in me will perform it and carry it on to completion until the coming of Jesus Christ. See, in that covenant, there's no, there's no relationship like it in all the world. There, there's no rela- relationship with, like, like covenant. There's no relationship where there's, where there's conditions that are written and there is this perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. And then when that's fulfilled comes this protection, this power, and this provision. But that is what God has gained for us. And when He brings that protection, that power, that provision, when all that comes into us, it comes into us for one reason, to transform us. That's what he's saying. If you come to this place by faith in Jesus Christ and I give you this, it's going to be a resource that is going to transform your life. That's why I'm bringing my presence to you. Where the presence of the Lord is, there's going to be transformation. That's why I'm bringing my protection so that you will not give way to sin. That's why I'm bringing you my provision and my resources so that you don't go to the computer and linger and look at things. When I come to you, I'm bringing the resources of heaven that Jesus has obtained for you. You enter into it by faith. These things come into your life and now they begin to transform you from image to image and glory to glory. And that's the goal of what He's wanting to do. He's never stopping conforming us to the image of His Son. He never stops working. Boom. Waymaker. Miracle worker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. 
That's covenant. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working, right? All things work together for good. He never stops. He never stops work. That's the covenant, folks. If you can grasp the covenant, it's so amazing, folks, that he never stops conforming us through the bad years, through the good years. He says, I'm committed because I'm committed to my son. It was my son who was perpetually Faithfully, perfectly obedient. I'm doing it because of Him and the clause He put in there. Let their victory be my victory. Or my victory be their victory. And so He says, you put your faith in that. I'm giving you these things and, and, and I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop working in your life. That's the condition of the covenant. I'm going to work. I, I'm bound to this. I'm legally bound to this. Look at what Ezekiel, a couple more things. Ezekiel 36, here's what he says. He says, this is what I'm going to do. If you put your faith in Christ, I'm going to send my presence, send my power, send my provision, send my protection. All those things that were lost in the garden back there. I'm going to put these things back into you. And with it, it's going to come my presence to conform you. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to stop conforming the true Christian into the image of God. That's the goal, to make you like Christ. To make you like Christ. Uh, and so here's what he says. If you'll put your faith in Christ, here's what you'll receive. You ready? You ready? Here's what you'll get. Here, here's what he says in Ezekiel 36. This is God. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people. There it is again. And I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. Woo! God says I'm bound to that because of my son, because of his perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. He, one figurehead, fulfilled what mankind needed. If you'll trust that, you get my presence along with him. You get my power. You get my protection. You get my provision because this is what I want to do in you, Joe Wiggins. I want to sprinkle you clean from all your uncleanness. I want to put a new heart in you. I want to put a new spirit in you. I want to put a new mind in you. I want to cause you to walk in places you don't even want to walk. See, some of you are so, I don't know what you are, but when I came to Christianity, I, I, did, I wish I'd have gone on the plane some of us went on, but when I started seeing people worship and love God, and I was jealous because I saw what they were getting and receiving. But there was a place in me that knew if I went there, there were things I had to give up that I didn't want to give up. And I was struggling, and I struggled for a lot of years in these places. Until I came to these places of Scripture, and I tried and failed. And I made some mistakes, and I love Jesus with all my heart on one end, and I love some other stuff on another end. 
And I could not get free to save my life until God brought me an understanding of the new covenant. And when God opened these passages up to me, Angie, it changed my life. When I read David Wilkerson's The New Covenant Unveiled, I was like, the answers I need. It's taking me into these verses and I'm reading, I will cause you. I will sprinkle you. I will take out your stony heart. And you know what I began to do? I began to go with this Bible into my prayer closet. And I began to go with this Bible into my room. And I began to say, God, I love pornography. I've sat here and told you I lo- that I love you more than it, but I, I'm a liar. I love you, God. But it's got a grip on my life like nothing else. I, when I feel bad about myself, I crave it. i got to have something to make me feel better about myself because the guilt of watching my friends at a church when I was little pick up a rock and throw it through the windshield of a vehicle at a church. I can't get rid of these guilts, Lord. And some of them I keep wanting to do. But I see and hear. I know they're not right. I want what these people have. I want the joy on their face. I want the peace on their face. I want the freedom that they have. And I see right here, God, I've been trying to do it. Me. But I see right here it says, you will take out the heart of stone. God, my heart's hard. My heart's hard, God. There's a part that loves you and there's a part that loves sin. God, my heart is so hard. Take out the stone heart. Put in me a heart of flesh that will turn me toward the things of God. Lord, God, you said you'd give me a new mind. God, my mind is satiated with songs and, and things and images that I've seen from the past. I love you. I go to church on Sunday. I love, I, I do these things. But sometimes these things enter my mind and, and I think back and I want them. God, you've come. Give me the new mind. Give me the new heart. Give me the new spirit. Cause me to walk in your statutes. Cause me to walk in your ways. And guess what? As I begin to do that he began to do that very thing he began to take me out of places he began to change me he began to renew me from inside he sent his spirit into my life his presence his power his provision and all of a sudden now I'm relying on him and now the strength of God is coming into my life and now I'm not wanting to go to the computer now when I feel bad about myself I'm running to the word of God now I'm going to God for these things and he's slowly changing my heart and my mind and my spirit into something new amen because he's all that, because I'm saying, God, you're ultimately you are committed to this. The courtroom of heaven has it on record. You pretty much not being disrespectful, God, but you gotta do this. It's here. It's here, God. It's here. So do it. You said you wouldn't leave me in this state. Help me. And so he did. And so here's the thing, folks. I all this. Because what that leaves you, if you don't have that, let me tell you where the church is at today. In perplexity and hopelessness. Because the things we don't want to do that we're doing, because we're at an onslaught of sin like never before. 
There, uh, folks, I, if we could uncover the sins in this room right now of what the church is involved in, the things we are watching, listening to, actively involved in. And then we come in here and we are, we are, we are troubled because the, the things I don't want to do that I do. I want to be close to God, but how can I be close to God when I'm doing these things and when I feel this way and we come in here and we're... De- because what do those things bring? Every time I went back to those things, what do those things bring, Daniel? They bring depression. They bring isolation. They bring despair. They bring withdrawing. They bring, they bring all those things. So we come in here and we are depressed We are bowed down. We are weighed down with sins, besetting sins. And we got a church world that just says, well, love God and don't worry. No, he he has done all these things so that he can transform your life. And so we're bound by these things. and, and, And we've got all these things that are going on in our lives. And we're not living, we're not living in life. How many would say we're 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 dead? I told Marcy, I said, I'm dead inside a lot of days. I'm dry. I'll have a minute of revival, minute of spiritual something. We'll come in here and sing a song, and it'll click and hit, and we'll think about God, and we'll have a minute of refreshing. But I walk out that door, I'm dry as, 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 as dead bones. You know? I mean, is that not the condition of the American church? I mean, I hear that's why people are exiting and then leaving. Well, I just don't feel anything there anymore. I mean, not that we need to listen to our feelings, but that they're dead. What's the use? I'm dead. I don't even have the strength to lift my head to even get up out of bed to even go to church or even do spiritual things or even read my Bible. Well, let me tell you something in closing. How, how does the new covenant work? John 16, 13. Glad you asked. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and disclose it unto you. Here's what He's saying. He is saying, when I do my final act of paying for the new covenant, I'm going to my Father as high priest. I'm going to I'm going to reunite you with God. I'm going to give you an eternal reward. And I'm going to clear your conscience. And then let me tell you what the Father's going to do. He's going to send you the Holy Spirit. My presence, my power, my protection, my provision, everything that you need to transform your life. That's what it's going to be there. Ezekiel 37, this is interesting. In Ezekiel 36, that's where he talks about the new covenant. Very interesting. I've never seen this. This is where he talks about the new covenant. I read it to you just earlier. I will sprinkle your heart clean. When the Lord comes, this is what he's going to do. When he pays the price, when we enter into the new covenant, this is what's going to happen. I know we can argue there's ultimate fulfillments in this and the millennial. I, we, hear me. I, a lot of things are dual prophecies and dual things. You know, I, I get that. I get ultimate fulfillments of millennial reigns. I get Israel being saved. I, I get all that. 
But I can tell you what, my sins are forgiven right now. I, I, I can tell you I'm sprinkled clean. I can tell you there's a, this, is, this was enacted and, and the Spirit has come on the day of Pentecost. And I, and I know that this is mine. And Ezekiel 37, he writes in Ezekiel 36. And I want you to hear this because this is the key of what I think this church needs, all churches need. It's the key to our personal life and to revival right here. This is what we need to come alive and we're not just be, oh, we maker. And just seem so heavy and down and depressed and like we can't even drag in one more day. Ezekiel 36, he's talking about the new covenant. He tells all these promises. And then in Ezekiel 37, right after he says this, God brings him down into a valley and sets him in front of a bunch of dry bones. Very interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. And here's what he says to Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me among, around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very, very dry. Aren't we very dry? And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live again? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know, only you know, God. He's like, I'm not even going there. Then and I, that's where I was this morning with Marcy. Can I get with not just y'all, with me, with all of us? God, like I can't fix anything anymore. I don't know how to fix the apathy. I mean, it's terrible. Apathy is terrible today. I mean, people are dragging. People are dying. People are depressed. People are giving up hope. And these are Christians. I don't know what the world's going to do if the Christians can't stay alive and active. We can't even go to functions. I mean, you have a function at the church. Nobody's. I mean, you can't have any. Nobody shows up. Everybody's dragging. Nobody wants to go anywhere. We went. I went out with my son last night from. My wife's birthday. There's not even people in stores anymore. Where are you people? Where are we? We're locked in homes. We're down. We're depressed. We're isolated. What is going on? We're dying. We're a valley full of dry bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said unto me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, or flesh, and will cause flesh to come into you, and to cover you with skin, and to put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, the rattling. And the bones came together, and bone to bone. And it looked like, and behold, there were sinews on the them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Who's the breath? Spirit of the living God. Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. 
right after giving them the promise of the new covenant, he brings him to this valley of dry bones where I think the church is right now. And, and, and we need a touch from God. We need to be able to, uh, listen, it's great. We have had Bible studies. We hear the word of God. And that's the first step it said in here is that they hear the word of God. You hear the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, the Bible says we get flesh. We stand up on our feet as an army. But the problem is we've had Bible teaching we've had we've had sermons and we're standing on our feet we are we are standing as an army but we're here with no breath or life in us they're still not filled with the life with the presence with the power with the provision until Ezekiel says prophesy to the breath or the Holy Spirit and he says tell the Holy Spirit thus saith the Lord. And that's important because what he says is there is no breath. And then he said unto me, prophesy to the breath or speak to the breath. Son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And, the, and what he's saying here, he's saying is that you must depend on the Holy Spirit to make this happen right here. You've got to depend on the Holy Spirit if this is going to happen. You've got to come to the Holy Spirit you got to bring my covenant promises to Him. And you've got to ask Him to work these things into your life. He has the power to do it. He's the one that's come to do it. So you come and you go like I do into my room. And you say, Spirit of the living God, I need this. It's written into the covenant between the Father and the Son. You love covenant language. You act when covenant language is there. It's written in the annals of the courtroom of heaven. So basically, I come to you. You have have to do this come and write in me the laws of God on my heart cause me to want to do them God the places where I'm dead and don't want to go to church and I'm lifeless and I'm hard-hearted take out the heart of stone and put in me a heart of flesh cause me to have passion in my preaching I'm dreading going into that pulpit give me a heart that wants to be like you God I don't I don't study for teaching anymore like I used to. I go through the motions because what's the use? Only three are going to be there. And we got to say, God, don't let me die in this valley of bones. God, don't let the Spirit of the living God eke out of me. God, don't let my heart grow cold or weary. God, you're going to come, old wind, from the four corners and breathe your breath into me because of the covenant. Come and change my life. Amen. And he's legally bound to do it. God, give me this new heart. Cause me to walk in the statues of God. Cause me to love what you love, to hate what you hate. Cause me to turn from the immorality that is coming. Folks, the immorality is going to get so great. Listen to me. You cannot stand and resist it. Listen to me, church people. Church lady, church man. Get rid of your piousness. You cannot stand against the onslaught of evil that's coming. Without God. You will not resist the hatred. You will not resist the unforgiveness. Because I'm seeing it in people already. Y'all about lost it a few weeks ago. You thought I lost my mind. I ain't lost my mind. I'm sick of being dead. 
Sick of seeing the church with a, no longer a new heart, but a heart full of jealousy. I'm just going to say it. Some of you are so jealous of people. Some of you hate people on this stage. Some of you won't follow people, but it's the ones you want to follow. You are such an authority breaker that when you're asked to do something, you, 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 you totally resist. If I ask you to stand up and praise, there's such a defiance. There's such a resistance, there's such a coldness and heart, and you don't think that's causing revival from coming to this church? You don't think that wicked, foul spirit, you think you're so righteous and holy, picking out everybody else's faults, but do you not realize you're the one causing the, 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 the division and causing the revival to be stopped in this room? The talking, the chit-chatting, the deciding I'll go if it's this person running the ministry or that person. These things cannot be so. They're not like God. So we've got to go to the valley. And we've got to prophesy. And we've got to say to the wind, take out the stone heart. And place in me a heart of love. Take in me a heart of peace, a heart of mercy, a heart of grace. Father, we need you. I don't want to go on without revival. I don't want to go on without revival. I can't stand being in a dead, dry, lifeless place. God, we've heard the word preached so many times. And we're standing up on our feet. We hear these truths. We believe these truths. Standing up as an army. But how can we fight if we're lifeless? Oh, but when the Spirit of the living God comes, when the Ruach HaKodesh comes, when the wind blows on these bones, when, when they begin to rattle and come together, when they begin to stand on their feet, when they begin to stand there solid as a mighty army under the banner of Jehovah Nissi, when they begin to, to form and are there, and then, then we prophesy to the wind and we say, hey, there's a covenant promise that says when Jesus enacts the covenant, the wind of God comes and puts in us, in this army, a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. God, I've allowed this world to taint me. God, I as a pastor have allowed it to taint me. I put things in my eyes that I don't need to put there, God. It's hardened my heart. It's softened me, God, to, to the things of God. It's pulled me away from the things of God. Lord, it's made me dull to your senses and to the Spirit, God. Lord, I've allowed, Lord, things that have been said or things I've heard or things I've done to cause me to harbor bitterness and, and, and unforgiveness towards people. I don't want that there. Lord, I come to you and say, take out the stony heart and place in me a heart of flesh write your law of forgiveness on my heart to love my enemies even God and to do good to, to them that persecute me and saw it say all manner of evil against me God and to rejoice and to leap for joy in that day for great is my reward in heaven God you got to write this in my heart I can't do it write it take your pen holy God and write it in my heart Write it in my heart. I don't love you like I need to love you. Write that into my heart, God. Write that into my heart. The book says that you will cause me to walk in your statutes and your commandments. I'm not doing that, God. I, I call prayer meeting and I don't want to go to prayer meeting. We don't pray, God. Write this in my heart. 
Write it in my heart. Children of God ought to want to pray. We ought to want to read the Word of God, but the desire is not there. I know it's good for me. I know it brings joy in life, but I'm dead, God. Write it into my heart, dear God. So here's my altar call. I'll pray for you, John. My, 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 my altar call is that you would take this Bible and wherever you're sitting or down in this altar, that you would open it to Jeremiah 31, you would open it to Hebrews 8, or you would open it to Ezekiel 36, and you would say, God, I am dry. God, I am dead. And God, your word says that you can revive me. And the Word says that you can write new things into my heart. And so take something to God that you need, where you need something, something that is lifeless and dead. And I want you to open this book and open that covenant and say, God, you set a new heart you'll give us. You set a new spirit you'll give me. God, I've got a critical spirit now. I'm critical of everybody and everything. I criticize everything. If they change something at church, I criticize. If they change something at home, I criticize. My husband does something, I criticize. My wife does something, I criticize. God, that's not of you. I want the hard heart of criticism out of me, and I want you to write your law into my heart. You said you would cause me to keep your statutes. But I'm just a grumpy person. Mama was that. That ain't of God. Well, I'm just an older guy, older woman, grumpy old, that ain't of God. God says, I'll write my law on your heart. Never hear Jesus saying, I'm just a grumpy carpenter from Nazareth. I'll write my law. God, take criticism out. God, take unbelief out. God, take bitterness out. God, take strife out. God, take jealousy out and write your law. Take out the heart of stone and put in me a heart of flesh.